You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. on Wednesday, April 21st, 2021. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. After the BBC News headlines... The California Report examines the next steps in reimagining policing in the twilight of the Chauvin verdict. Following a roundup of regional news and weather, Keith Porter talks to Cindy Wilson, Nevada County Director of Public Health Nursing, about the team that seeks out and vaccinates the hard-to-reach members of our community. We'll close with a commentary from Chaplain Norris Burks on unearned privilege and unearned oppression. This is the California Report. I'm Lily Jamali. The U.S. Justice Department has announced it's opening a sweeping investigation into policing practices in Minneapolis, a day after guilty verdicts were handed down to the ex-police officer who murdered George Floyd. The conviction of Derek Chauvin brought some relief to many leaders here in California, including East Bay Congresswoman Barbara Lee. But she tells KQED this isn't the end of the fight for holding police accountable. I think the people who have been protesting, our young people especially, they're not going to stop, and we should not stop. We've got to make sure now that this um, door has been cracked open in terms of police accountability, we've got to do our job here in Congress. And again, that's just the first step, the first legislative step. We have many, many issues that we have to address as it relates to police reform and policing and reimagining policing. That first step Congresswoman Lee was talking about is the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, which has already passed the House but faces an uphill battle to garner the necessary 60 votes to pass in the Senate. Young people here in California were a driving force in keeping up the fight for justice following the murder of George Floyd. They held rallies for months, even in the days leading up to the announcement of the verdict. We spoke with Maui Wilson, a 29-year-old activist who's lived in the Bay Area city of Vallejo his whole life. He's the founder of the Vallejo Peace Project. I mean, I think from the people that I have talked to, like, everybody's really, like, almost in the same kind of, like, twilighty shock. Like, you know, it couldn't have gone any other way, but we're also surprised that it did go this way, if that makes sense. Wilson says he's had his own experiences with police aggression, including a time he walked by a fight that had broken out outside of a movie theater as he was leaving. And then out of nowhere, like I was slammed up against the wall, handcuffed and like thrown, like carried by my belt and my arms and thrown into the back of a police car. And I didn't understand what was going on because, like I said, I just had walked out of the theater. The officer let Wilson go, but he says a month or so later, he and his mom, who's a probation officer, ran into the officer who detained him. And his exact response was like, oh, well, why didn't you tell me who your mom was? And I was like, you know, because it's not my job to tell you who my mom is. You know, it's like your job not to do stuff like that to people without, you know, cause. Wilson says he doesn't necessarily see the Chauvin verdict as a milestone. He's waiting to see what happens with sentencing. It sounds terrible, but it's not like a monumental step. Like, there's still work that we have to be doing. And there's still, you know, people getting shot and killed by police, even while this trial's going on. You know, so just basically making sure that, you know, we don't get bogged down by the work, but also understand that we have to keep moving forward. That was Maui Wilson, founder of the Vallejo Peace Project. 
The Peace Officers Research Association of California, which describes itself as the largest statewide law enforcement association in the country, says the guilty verdict should be a wake-up call for the nation. In a statement, Association President Brian Marvel says officers must be held accountable when their actions are found to be unlawful. He goes on to say that there should be a national use of force standard and better training standards for all peace officers in every state across the country. Eric Nunez is chief of police with the Los Alamitos Police Department and the immediate past president of the California Police Chiefs Association. Certainly uh, helped to uh, to reaffirm for everybody involved um, that uh, that the judicial process is a process, um, but if you give it a chance, that uh, that eventually that process will bear out what it has to bear out. Nunez tells KQED law enforcement continues to work with the state legislature on measures that will require that police are held more accountable for their actions. A community gathering in Fresno honored the life of George Floyd following the Chauvin verdict. Now, organizers are preparing for a large march to remember the lives also lost in Fresno. Sarith Hawk with Valley Public Radio reports. Some of Fresno's leading community activists came together Tuesday night to mark what they call a hard-fought victory. But they say the work is just beginning. Today, we are celebrating the fact that the Floyd family can find peace, but we are not celebrating the fact that this fight is over. DeAngelique Jackson, president of the Fresno State Chapter of the NAACP, organized the gathering. She emphasized that the verdict has major implications for the city's own pending police reforms. There are things that we need fixed here locally that we can't be silent about. Jackson is a member of the city's Commission for Police Reform and is working on a number of recommendations to present to the city council. She was also one of the main organizers of Fresno's large Black Lives Matter march in 2020. This year, she's planning an anniversary march on May 31st. That day will fall on Memorial Day this year. And that meaning to me and the, the thing that it symbolizes is perfect. We have lost so many soldiers. Last year, the march attracted more than 3,000 people and remained peaceful. Organizers hope to double that number this year. For the California Report, I'm Sarith Hawk in Fresno. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone everywhere. The law firm Perkins Cooey, a trusted legal advisor to innovative companies and industry leaders throughout California and the world. Learn more at PerkinsCOIE.com. The California legislature will today take up Governor Gavin Newsom's nomination of Oakland Assemblyman Rob Bonta to be the state's next attorney general. KQED's Katie Orr reports. Senate and Assembly committees will consider Bonta's appointment to attorney general following the resignation of Javier Becerra, who stepped down to become U.S. Secretary of Health and Human Services. State lawmakers are expected to question Bonta about his position on issues like oversight of police misconduct, countering racial violence, and gun control. If confirmed by both the Senate and Assembly, Bonta will become the first Filipino-American to serve as the state's attorney general. Five candidates, including Bonta's wife, have already announced their intentions to run for his assembly seat. 
For the California Report, I'm Katie Orr in Sacramento. And that is the California Report for this Wednesday, April 21st. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thanks for listening. This news today from the Nevada County Fairgrounds Board of Directors. The fair will go on in 2021. The Nevada County Fairgrounds announced on its Facebook page this afternoon that at Tuesday night's meeting, the Fairgrounds Board voted unanimously to hold all three of its major events this year. Along with the county fair, which is scheduled for August 11th through August 15th, the board intends to hold the Draft Horse Classic and the County Christmas Fair this year. The announcement added, we will continue to monitor public health guidelines and will provide more information as we get closer to each event. We are so excited to welcome the community back. The Los Angeles Times reports today that California's coronavirus case rate is now the lowest in the continental United States, reflecting months of progress in the aftermath of the surge that occurred last fall and winter. The state's latest seven-day rate of new cases, about 40 per 100,000 people, is dramatically lower than the nationwide rate of 135 and edged only by Hawaii over the same period, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. At the other end of the spectrum is Michigan, which has a seven-day case rate more than 10 times that of California's. Over the past week, California has reported an average of about 2,300 new cases per day, a 13% decrease from two weeks ago, according to the LA Times. Last winter, California's average peaked at more than 40,000 new cases per day. Now, 38 of California's 58 counties have reached the orange tier, and three have entered the most lenient yellow tier. There are no counties in the strictest purple tier. At a Zoom meeting this afternoon with local media, Dr. Scott Kellerman, Nevada County's public health officer, said that the county's metrics mean it remains firmly entrenched in the red tier. He said the county's numbers are moving in the right direction, but progress is, to use his word, glacial. Dr. Glenna Trochet, Nevada County's deputy health officer, seemed to agree. We continue to be in the red tier. Uh, We continue to have higher positivity rate than the state, and we continue to have more cases per day than the average in the state. It does not look, since the rules have changed for moving from tier to tier, it is unlikely that we will be going back to the purple tier. But unfortunately, it doesn't look like anytime soon we will be progressing to one of the, the less restrictive tiers. Dr. Trochet also had this comment about what the future holds for the county. If if we are able to obtain herd immunity with our vaccinations, we will see the end of this pandemic. As long as we race to get that herd immunity before there are any variants that can escape the immunity that's provided by our vaccines. So we really want to vaccinate as many people as possible as soon as possible. And that is really the challenge right now. Saturday is Prescription Take Back Day in Nevada County from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at four locations. The event is an anonymous way to discard prescription drugs without flushing them down the toilet. The list of acceptable products are prescriptions, over-the-counter medications, veterinary medications, and vaping devices and cartridges with the batteries removed. 
The four disposal locations are in Grass Valley at Neal Street and South Auburn Street across from the Safeway, the Rood Center in Nevada City, and the Nevada County Sheriff's substations in Penn Valley and Auburn. In the weather for our region, mostly sunny for the rest of the week, cloudy and cooler by Saturday, with rain in the forecast for Sunday. Tonight in Nevada City and Grass Valley, clear with a low of 52 degrees. On Thursday, mostly sunny with a high in the mid-70s and a low of 54. In Truckee tonight, clear with a low of 26 degrees. Truckee will be mostly sunny Thursday with some afternoon clouds, a high of 62 and a low of 29. In Sacramento, clear tonight with a low of 48 degrees. Thursday in Sacramento, morning clouds will give way to mostly sunny skies in the afternoon with a high of about 80 and a low of 47. Keith Porter joins us now with an interview exploring the strike team that tries to get shots into the hardest-to-reach arms in Nevada County. I'm Keith Porter with KVMR News, and I'm talking today with Cindy Wilson. Cindy is the Director of Public Health Nursing for Nevada County. She works in the Public Health Department under Director Jill Blake and with Dr. Scott Kellerman, who's our County Public Health Officer. Cindy, uh, tell us a little bit about your role as the Director of Public Health Nursing and what's new in your world. Well, as the Director of Public Health Nursing, like you said, I work with both Joe Blake, our Department Director, and Scott Kellerman, our Health Officer, Glenna Trochet, our Deputy Health Officer, and a really great team of staff and employees who do an incredible job at all times to help keep our community safe and healthy and protected. Um, at this particular time, what's new start, is starting to feel like what has become old, which is COVID, and And as the Director of Public Health Nursing, I have the responsibility to oversee the programs that our nurses are involved in and the staff that are in those programs. And so that's ongoing staff as well as COVID staff. This last year, many of our staff have been redirected into COVID activities. And for us, it's kind of two-pronged, the case investigation contact tracing aspect, and then in the more recent months, providing vaccines to the community has been a very big focus of our nursing staff. Cindy, I know you're involved in a relatively new program to really make sure that the vaccine uh, is available to people who otherwise would it, would, it would be difficult for it to reach to other communities and people in those communities. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, public health um, gets to oversee a lot of aspects of giving vaccinations in the community. And we are, of course, putting shots in arms every day. But one of the main tasks that we have is to try to find our more vulnerable and harder to reach population that maybe can't get out for a doctor's appointment or they don't have as good of access to the internet as some of our other residents and things like that. So uh, we hired some nurses and formed them into a team and the state was often calling them strike teams, but we decided to call ours the REACH team. And REACH is an acronym that stands for Resources for Equity and Access and Community Health. And we feel like that's a little bit better name. Sounds like an excellent acronym and it certainly uh, certainly 
appropriate to what you're doing uh, in terms yeah. of getting out there. Yes. And so it, you know, it really symbolizes what we're trying to do, which is to find our residents who just aren't going to be able to um, find for themselves that vaccine. So that team of nurses, along with some of our other nurses and along with some of our student nurses who are here with us at Nevada County Public Health this semester, have been going to some of the independent living facilities in the community. They've been going to some of the senior adult mobile home parks, some of the senior adult apartment complexes, and we've also been trying to to compile lists from various sources of homebound seniors who can't get out and try to take the vaccine to their home. So they've been doing a lot of legwork. Um, obviously, that takes a little bit more planning than saying, hey, we're having a clinic. Y'all come to our clinic. It's slower. It's more methodical. It requires a lot more planning and logistical support. So it, we're having to do a balance between how many people can we get vaccinated and how much outreach can we do to people that is, it's just going to take us more time to find them and then to get to them. I think they've done a phenomenal job of doing both of those things. Excellent. So are you, you're feeling optimistic about the process that we're, we're accomplishing what you'd set out to accomplish? Oh, we really are. They've done a great job with those independent living facilities, the mobile home parks, the managers of the mobile home parks and the apartment complexes, of course, are a key partner in all of this. So often they help with logistics like providing a space and the tables and the chairs and trying to organize the residents in a way that makes sense for the clinic to run smoothly. So it does require a lot of partnership with other people as well as our staff, but I think that they, that's part of what they've done is just coordinate, coordinate well, and they've gone out there and helped to immunize some of our residents that otherwise wouldn't be getting their vaccine this early. Sounds like a tremendously important uh, process for our community to get us through this pandemic. So if people are aware of individuals or small clusters of people like that that should be reached by your program, how can they contact you? The best way to do that at this point is to go through Connecting Point so people can actually dial 211. Connecting Point has been a great partner with public health throughout the pandemic and addressing it. And they are taking those names and then they're passing those to our team because our team is out doing this most of the day. We're not here answering the phone and all of that kind of stuff. So Connecting Point has been willing to, to partner with us to collect the names and then provide them to us so that we can call those people back and get in touch with them at a convenient time. And again, people can reach Connecting Point by dialing on their phone 211. Well, Cindy Wilson, Director of Public Health Nursing for Nevada County, thank you very much for sharing what you're doing. Thank you for you and the volunteers and the staff that are making all this happen. And uh, we appreciate your time on KVMR today. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you, Keith. Good to talk with you. Next, Chaplain Norris Burks with a meditation on the unearned privilege bestowed on him at the expense of the oppressed. Hi, this is Chaplain Norris Burks coming to you with another commentary of spirituality in everyday life. Yesterday, a Minneapolis jury convicted ex-policeman Derek Chauvin of the second-degree murder of George Floyd. As all of you surely know by now, Floyd was the unarmed black man killed last year when the officer knelt on his neck during an arrest. As a commentator, I feel confident in declaring this a just verdict. However, as a person of faith, 
I'm responsible for examining my own heart to determine my portion of guilt in the racial disparities of our society. Psalm 26, too, makes it clear. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart. So in today's climate, the prayer obliges me to confess that I haven't the slightest experience with oppression. However, I do know something about the unearned privilege given to me by society. For instance, in my Lake of the Pines subdivision, being a white man means that I can jog in a hoodie without any fear of being questioned. I can and I have trespassed on two construction sites along my running route. There are plenty of cameras in my neighborhood, but I've never been pursued like Ahmad Aubrey to be shot and killed by a self-appointed neighborhood watch patrol. If I return from my run to discover that I'm locked out of my home, I can climb through an unlocked window. I have no anxiety about being handcuffed in my own foyer as police did to Harvard professor Louis Gates. I take my grandson to Ace Hardware and I pull a soda from the refrigerated cabinet. I open it so he can sip while I shop. So far, no one there has demanded that we pay before checkout. No one dares accuse this old white guy of shoplifting. And if I speed on my way home and find flashing lights in my rearview mirror, the officer will likely be of my own culture and color. It's doubtful that he or she will frisk this graying, pinkish man. If it weren't for my unearned favoritism, I would have two felonies on my record. That's because my college friends and I were once detained for pranking mall shoppers through our impersonation of law enforcement officers. As a young pastor, I was stopped for recklessly driving through not one, but four stop signs. These incidents should have left me without a military career or a chaplaincy career. But I was never even charged. People of color regularly see their lives ruined for so much less. While I enjoy the privileges that society's stereotypes afford me, I must acknowledge that they come at the expense of others. The stereotypes of the black man as a gangster, a perpetrator of violence, flood the media. Yesterday's conviction should remind us all that the preamble of our Constitution begins with we the people, not we the privileged. That's why I call on all of us this week to assume the kind of kneeling inspired by the psalmist prayer. Let us search our hearts to ask what part of George Floyd's death can be attributed to our attitude of we the privileged. As we began that search, let us join the psalmist with his benediction from Psalm 51.10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. This is Chaplain Norris Burks. Follow me and all my commentary on the website thechaplain.net. Thanks for listening. The views expressed on this show are those of the speakers only and are not necessarily those of KVMR, our board, staff, volunteers, or contributors. That's our newscast. Coming up next at 6.30, an all-new live edition of The Sages Among Us, produced right here at KVMR. Host Taylor Wolf is scheduled to interview Ember Amador of the California Heritage Indigenous Research Project, also known as CHIRP. 
And at 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. KVMR gets support from Dignity Health Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital, delivering cardiovascular care and wellness with a team of specialists dedicated to prevention education, from diagnosis to treatment and rehabilitation. More information online at DignityHealth.org slash Sierra Nevada. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza and airs Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Have a wonderful evening. Mm